Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there and welcome to Wild for Scotland. My name is Scott Kyle, but you might know me as Ross the Blacksmith from Lallybrook in Outlander. I don't normally do this kind of thing, but my laird has commanded me to introduce this podcast. Today, Wild for Scotland helps you to connect with my world, the Scotland from Outlander. First, Cathy will tell you a story to whisk you away. Then I'll be back to chat about filming in the show and we'll give you tips to visit the film locations for yourself. So grab your gemstones and let's travel to Scotland. Welcome back to another episode of Wild for Scotland. This season is all about road trips. Every week we drive down a different scenic route somewhere in Scotland and today will be no different. Although, as you've already heard, this episode is a little bit different than the rest. First, and as always, we'll start with a story. But then, instead of my usual tips, we'll hear more from Scott Kyle. There is nothing quite like seeing the locations you know from your favourite movies and TV shows in real life. In Scotland, you can ride the real-life Hogwarts Express from Harry Potter or make a phone call from the phone booth that featured in Local Hero. But when it comes to visiting film locations, Scotland is really just one big playground for the fans of a particular TV show that whisks views back into the past. I'm talking, of course about Outlander. Across five seasons, Outlander's story has so far taken us from Scotland and England to France, Boston, the Caribbean and North Carolina. And yet, despite spanning destinations on both sides of the Atlantic, most of the show's iconic moments were actually filmed in Scotland. And so, it comes as no surprise that Scotland fans have been pouring in for years to see not only the many film locations all over the country, but also learn about the Scottish history that inspired the show and the books it's based on. In today's road trip story, we will visit some of those locations and hear about their stories. A quick heads up before we start. This episode contains no massive spoilers, but we do discuss specific scenes and plot points of Outlander season one. Consider this before you listen. Now, let's get on with the story. 
This is the key. Today, the wheel at the mill is turning. The water is rushing on beneath the wooden wheel and pushes against its little shells, driving it on in a circular movement. It's a slow but continuous movement, and it looks like nothing could stop it. Although, of course, many things can go wrong with the wheel of a water mill. One little stone trapped in the wheel, and the whole thing grinds to a halt. And if that happens, someone has to be the hero, jump in the freezing cold water and free the wheel from its misery. In Outlander, that hero is Jamie Fraser, and the wheel he has to fix is the one at Lallybroch Mill. This iconic scene from the first season of Outlander is a favourite among fans. It helps that Jamie loses all his clothes in the process of his heroism. But maybe it's also to do with the stunning location where the scene was filmed, Preston Mill. Preston Mill lies in the picturesque village of East Linton, just a stone's throw away from the city of Edinburgh. And it's the first stop on our Outlander road trip. We, that is me and my equally Outlander-loving friend Dominica, we arrive just in time for a tour of the mill, which is owned today by the National Trust for Scotland, And even though it does not mill oats anymore, it is still operational. And that's not something to take for granted. With the continuous sounds of the mill faintly turning in the background, our guide Fraser starts by telling us the history of the mill. And yes, that really is his name. The buildings we see in front of us date back to the 18th century. But there has been a mill here at least since the 16th century if not much longer before that. Next to the actual mill building is a tower-like structure with a tall, conical roof. It's covered in red clay pantiles in shades of orange, from warm terracotta to pale peachy tones. They were brought over from Holland. Excessive, one might think, but the exchange was actually a practical one. Back in those days, Scotland exported coal to Europe, And since the boats had to be weighed down for a safe return journey, Dutch clay tiles were the perfect solution. The rooftops eclectically assembled stone walls, with bright mortar laying thick between individual rocks. A set of stairs, framed by wooden planters, leads halfway up the tower to a door into the structure, and next to it, another door opens onto a wooden crossing that connects the tower with the mill. The tower is in fact the oat kiln, where, very much like a whiskey distillery would dry out its barley, the mill would dry the oats before grinding them. Of course, doing this comes with a high risk of fire, and that's why it's hard to tell how long there has been a mill in this spot, and also why this is the only remaining mill with an oat kiln in Scotland. 
Just as Fraser finishes his story and we get ready to start walking to the back of the mill, a big fluffy golden retriever walks up and sits down right in front of him. This is Orla, he explains. She comes past here every day on her walk and asks him for a treat, making her officially the most frequent visitor at Preston Mill. I wonder if she has any idea about the show that brings so many more visitors here than ever before. This renewed attention does not only bring fans to the mill, though, it also supports the preservation of this unique historic site. Just a few years ago, the water wheel was badly damaged, and so the Outlander community rallied behind and helped finance the repairs. We walk around the mill to see the wheel for ourselves. It's powered by the currents of the river Tyne and turns the millstone inside in a perpetual motion. But more importantly, this is where Fraser can separate the wheat from the chaff. As he recounts the outlander scene that was shot here at the mill, our group divides into those who remember watching it all too well and those who have to ask which episode that was. Once, Fraser tells us he had to get in the river himself to cut the grass on the banks. And sure enough, a group of Outlander fans came running, thinking it was Jamie himself. They were a little disappointed, but Fraser gets it. He's seen the show. Our tour continues to see the inside of the mill. Back in the 18th century, the time of Outlander, it would have been much smaller, probably single-storey, and only about half the size. The machinery, which is now a mix of wood and metal, would have been all wooden. But it is hard to see exactly what was replaced when, because the machines were often altered, part by part, over the years. There wouldn't have been any electric lights. In fact, the mill was illuminated by oil lamps until the 1950s, when the National Trust for Scotland took it on. Fraser explains the entire process of the mill. We look into the roof of the kiln, see the chutes and hoists that transported the oats from one place to another, the heavy millstones that weigh a ton each, and the cogwheels that keep the whole thing going. But what's even more impressive than the system itself is the soundscape the mill creates in the process. The mill is clunking, rattling and tapping along. Rhythmic, but not entirely monotonous, changing pace ever so often. The miller would have constantly listened to those sounds, the pace, the rhythm and any squeak that didn't belong. That was the key to keep the mill running smoothly. We enter a room in a side building of the mill that was also used as an outlander set. Remember the chamber where Claire and Gailis weighed up their options before their witch trial commenced? That was shot right here at Preston Mill too. At the end of the tour, we flip through a book filled with photos of the crew on site, filming those scenes. We can recognise the buildings we just saw and explored, but also the changes that were made to make them look like an Outlander set. As is often the case with TV shows and films, 
things and places aren't always what they seem. For example, the story of Outlander begins in Inverness, but the scenes at Mrs Baird's bed and breakfast were actually filmed in Falkland, a village over a hundred miles away. Dune Castle near Stirling was supposed to be the Mackenzie's Castle Leoch, and Glasgow's Pollock Park stood in for Highland scenery. It's all about bringing the Outlander flair to each location. And that's something we also hear about at our next stop. We continue our journey and drive round the south of Edinburgh. Here, the road first climbs up along the flanks of the Pentland Hills and then leads us down a narrow track framed by hedges and trees until we arrive at Glencore's house. With its stunning main house, sprawling grounds and a lush garden, it made for a perfect film location. Even though it only appeared once in season one, it continues to be a favourite among Outlander fans, especially those that are looking for a wedding venue. You see, Glencore's Old Kirk, a small stone church on the grounds of the house, is where Jamie and Claire tied the knot. We park up and meet Sarah, whose family owns Glencore's house. She was there when the filming happened and loves taking fans of the show to see the Kirk. The crew included about 200 people. They used the house for hair and makeup, set up a large tent for catering, and spent about three weeks roughing up the church to make it look like it was described in the books. Ironically, the church was only restored 20 years ago. Back then, Sarah's family put a new roof on the ruin and brought it back to its old glory. But you may remember the priest only agreed to marry Jamie and Claire in exchange for new windows for the chapel. And so the kirk was filled with dead leaves and debris. Doors were removed, windows boarded up or replaced with smashed glass. Rain pipes were covered with foliage and gravestones added to the cemetery. Go back and look at the scene. You'll notice that the new wooden roof is kept skillfully out of the shots. And like with a real wedding, every detail was meticulously planned and rehearsed. Sarah shows us pictures and tells us about the rehearsals, how long it took to put on Claire's wedding dress and how she managed to get up the hill from the house to the kirk. They still get requests for Outlander-style weddings here at the kirk and are happy to oblige. From Gallic vows to skillfully embroidered dresses, couples from around the world have recreated their own version of the Outlander wedding here. And now I can see why. As we move on to our next stop on our Outlander road trip, we see, once again, that the crew didn't take their geography too seriously. Blackness Castle lies on a pointy headland on the southern shore of the Firth of Forth, just west of Edinburgh. But in the show, the castle was used as Fort William, the headquarters of Captain Black Jack Randall, and the backdrop of arguably some of the most gut-wrenching scenes of Outlander. Built in the 15th century for the Christian family, it lies near the sheltered harbour of Blackness Bay, 
which served as the port for Linlithgow and its royal residence. From the water, it looks a bit like a ship that is stranded on the rocky shore. And that's where it got its nickname, the ship that never sailed. Blackness Castle looks back at a tumultuous history, changing hands in bloody family feuds, seized, besieged, assailed from land and sea. But the castle prevailed, a stronghold for Scotland in a key location, an impregnable fortress on a rocky ledge. So much so that in the 16th century, it was turned into a state prison, where high-ranking enemies of the state were kept out of sight. Around that time, the castle was radically expanded. The central tower was heightened and the outer walls quadrupled in thickness. It remained an important military base until the 1870s and as such lent itself to be the fictional home of Black Jack Randall's Redcoat Army. It was here at Blackness, near the tip of the courtyard, that Randall flogged Jamie Fraser and other prisoners, and also where he held Claire against her will. It's a place that is equally unpleasant and fascinating, a place that will give you the chills and play with your senses. Dominica and I explore the castle, walk up the rocky steps to the stern tower, wander up and down the spiral stairs and get a glimpse of the great halls and private side chambers. From the top of the stem tower, right by the sea, we see the breathtaking views. The blue Firth of Forth at our feet and the Forth Bridge and the Queen's Ferry Crossing away in the distance. Seagulls are flying across the sky, screeching or holding a beak full of fish. I have to admit that the first time I watched Outlander, the brutal scenes of this place nearly put me off the show. But as I stand here today, it's hard to believe they were shot here at all. So much beauty and peace. We tear ourselves away from the beautiful scene and continue our drive to our final stop for the day. You could say we saved the best for last a place that is undoubtedly on any Outlander fan's bucket list. I'm talking, of course, about Lallybroch. In the show, Lallybroch is Jamie Fraser's ancestral home, where he takes Claire after they escape from Fort William and he steps into his role as Laird. The real Lallybroch is called Midhope Castle and lies just 15 minutes from Blackness. We drive down a lush green woodland, pull up at the car park and pay a small entry fee to access the site. As we start walking up the driveway, the castle comes into view and we're overcome by excitement. It looks just like in the show. While the interior of the building is relatively derelict and therefore not accessible to the public, you can wander around the exterior to your heart's content. And that's exactly what we do. The trees left and right of the road form a leafy tunnel, framing the castle in the distance. I can see the reddish stone of the tall tower house with its crow-stepped gables and the characteristic archway that leads into a small courtyard. Ignore the tarmac road and the speed limit sign near the ground. 
Walking up this road, you could think you've travelled back in time. Near the archway, I spot a wooden chair that is decorated with flowers. There are two boxes on it. One is an honesty box. The other contains an assortment of keys. Each has a label tied to it with a piece of white string that says Lallybroch. I pull out my purse and put a pound coin in the honesty box. It's the best pound I've ever spent. Because now I can say I own the key to Lallybroch. Oh, and just in case you were wondering, the scene where naked Jamie fixes the mill is season one, episode 12. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this journey round some of the Outlander film locations near Edinburgh. You could easily visit some or all of them in a day trip from Edinburgh or Glasgow, or mix and match with some of the many other film locations in the area, from Kouros in Fife to Hopeton House, not far from Lallybroch. If you'd like to see pictures from our road trip, especially my proud key to Lallybroch, head to our website, wildforscotland.com. I always post photos from the road trips I tell you about there. Now, before Scott Kyle is joining me for a wee blether, I'd like to tell you a quick story about our sponsors. Now, if you are a regular listener to this show, you know that usually after the story is when I share some practical tips to help you follow the same itinerary as me. But today, we're doing things a little differently. I'm very happy to be joined by Scott Kyle himself to chat a bit more about his experiences on the set of Outlander and more. Hello, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Why don't you kick us off and tell us how the hell did you manage to get yourself a part on Outlander? Uh, I'll tell you the short version of it. Uh, went to college, graduated, uh, slugged it uh, for, for years running my own company and doing any bit and bob a job that will come along. And then one day the dream comes in where you get an audition for one of these big shows. And uh, I did my preparation and managed to land myself a, an amazing role as Ross from Lallybrook in this giant TV series. It's very exciting. And what was it like to be on the set of a historic drama? It was genuinely like going back in time. Um, the amazing thing about working on such a show like Outlander is, um, as any actor maybe listening will know, we've all worked on low-budget stuff where there's uh, not a great budget, but Outlander had this huge budget. So there was literally there was hundreds of horses, hundreds of red coats, and everything looked like from the time. So you didn't have to use your imagination too much when you walked into the field. There was red coats and horses, and uh, and 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 it just looked so real. So it was just incredible. And was that something? you knew from say school history class or and personal interest or was it really new to you the way history really came to life in that show I think in uh, we've all got pictures of of of, uh, of what, what time what the time would have looked like and we've all watched things like Braveheart and stuff like that in movies of the time um I think I think the difference is going on to it as an actor is that is seeing all the minor details like everything is so realistic everything is as it was you know kind of um and I was playing a blacksmith so you were having to 
you know, kind of um, hammer away at swords and stuff like that. Just stuff that was just incredible to go and do. You know, um, it was, it was. I think that it was a level of detail. You, know, you absolutely got immersed in this world, and it was like time travel, and it was incredible. Cool. Did you actually make a sword, or did you just hammer around on on a prop? <laughs> it, was, it was more hammering around. It was unfortunately <laughs> making a sword, but I was hammering around. But obviously, the flames were true. You know, the real, the the, the heat was real, and uh, and the working up a sweat, hammering away at it because it takes hours to film these scenes. So you're you're banging away on on the end of this kind of the, the piece of metal for for a long part of the day. And there's there's real dangers in it, and there's security staff and uh, basically you know fire marshals and stuff to make sure you don't burn the set down. <laughs> <laughs> probably for the best absolutely it's always nice to know that you're not responsible for somebody's job that day to to get stuff off you when the camera shouts cut <laughs> absolutely i guess that way you can be immersed in the role a bit more as well yeah, that's it so you're trying to get lost in it um and the the, the it's, it's normally the time between set when they shout action and stuff and you're in it that's those are the amazing times i suppose the difficult thing is it's all the someone coming up and handing you rolling sausage and a cup of tea <laughs> and everything those stuff they break the illusion for you so it's, it's making sure you can get into it and not having to worry as i say about maybe scolding somebody where it was something uh, a, a hot iron or something then then it's a, a nice uh, to not be worrying about that because somebody takes it off you as soon as the shout cut I bet those are some fun behind the scenes shot as well that you probably wouldn't expect to see when you when you're a fan of the show. <laughs> yeah, one of the, the, the scenes I always chat about was uh, get, getting my shirt off with uh, with Sam Hewn. Um, but my first day on set was a, a scene where I get I get twenty lashings for for not keeping guard properly, and I get my lashings and it was a big nervous scene taking all your top off in front of hundreds extras and strangers and crew. And then later on that night, we were filming a scene from one of the other scenes and it was Sam's turn to take his his kit off. And uh, and all the girls gave him a big, <gasps> and he took his top off because he's, he's he's built like we all know. He's he's in very good shape. And I, and I said to the director, I said, something wrong there. There wasn't continuity. They didn't do that when I took my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as my ego might have been carried away being on a big show, sometimes you get put back in your box pretty quickly. <laughs> so... Which episode was that again? <laughs> uh, yes, I, uh, I'm trying to think. It was my first, uh, my first day on set, so it must be what uh, maybe two o nine, I think it might be, and it's a it's a scene where there's a public lashing. So uh, myself and Kincaid, so I play Ross and Kincaid, and uh, we're keeping guard. And uh, Graham McTavish's character, uh, who's the war chief, enters into the the village essentially, and the, the safe space. And obviously, we know him, we know he's the war chief, so we let him in. But uh, later on, you know, kind of uh, Sam's character, Jamie's got to make an, an example of us that nobody should be getting in, no matter who they are, unless it's been okayed. So, uh, me and uh, Gregor Firth, who played Kincaid, got a public lashing. But mine had to be filmed, his didn't. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, right, let's uh, move on and talk a little bit what it was like for you to, or how the show really has impacted you as a Scot, but also as an actor. Um, would you say that the show has changed the way you think about Scotland or even Scottish history? Yes, on both accounts. I mean, in terms of how I view Scotland, I've seen more of Scotland since being on the show. Um, that, that's out of curiosity. My wife and I like to go and see some of the locations. We like to go and visit uh, new places in Scotland. Um, and uh, and in terms of the history, obviously, when you're when you're going to be on a show like that, you start reading up a bit more. I, I like my history, and I like to read up and, and get to know a wee bit more now than I did before. So so yeah, it's uh, it's, it's been a, a great positive impact in, in my life, and uh, it's expanded my world. Obviously, Scotland, I've got to know more of, but I've actually got to see more of the world since being on Outlander because I've been invited all over the world. And is there any film locations that you enjoyed particularly where maybe you shot a scene? 
Um, there's, there's so many, and, and what I would say is when you're filming the scenes, um, you, you say so you, you get picked up, a car comes to your house, picks you up in the morning, takes you in, you go in your trailer and stuff like that, and you, whatever you are, sometimes you're not really aware of where you're, what the location is. I mean, you're that busy worried about your lines and um, getting yourself into what's happening for your character that day and stuff that you're not really worried whether we're filming in Inverness or Perth or anything. Uh, but we were up um, in Perth and we filmed up um, uh, up there for, what was that? I think we were there for about 10 days. And we stayed at the Creef Hydro. It's a lovely uh, hotel up that way. And it was nice because that's when we was getting the bond with the cast members. So that, that was really nice. Um, and I did I did do a wee scene um, at, uh, at Lallybrook. You know, the people, fans of the show know it's Lallybrook. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd a scene, uh, it's actually used in the opening credits, I think, of, of scene of, of episode 213. And it's myself and Kincaid arriving on a horse and cart wagon uh, with all the weapons. And it's kind of... It's because it's an opening sequence, it's just not very clear. It's quite blurry. But I remember filming that day, and that was pretty incredible because we we went up to see the the, the location, obviously, uh, when 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 they weren't shooting, and I'd seen it obviously when they were shooting as well. So I'd seen it when they decorated it for the 1700s. It was incredible. Um, and then you went up in the modern time, and none of that stuff was there. So it was amazing. Yeah, that's one of the things I found as well when I visited the locations for this episode and other. Outlander film locations in the past is that you can recognize them but they do look slightly different in the tv show because obviously they had to be made into that 18th century kind of vibe so yeah I totally hear what you're saying about you know seeing it but it always looks a little bit different which is quite quite cool it's what I said about um, when you're on a horse and cart and you're dressed in all the gear and travelling along in a horse and cart and it's as bumpy as it is and you ride up to Lallybrook, which is the fictional home in the story and you're sitting going, wow, it just looks so, just everything feels so real. It's, it's just such a blessing. I always think of actors that maybe have to work with more green screen and think how big, how a tough a job it would be when none of that's there and you have to imagine it all. Because actually it's, it's a lot easier when you ride up with a horse and cart and you you, you can see the historical building and, and it just feels like you're in the 1700s. You know, it's it's incredible. Absolutely. I always find there's something very emotional around visiting locations like that, that you know from the screen. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Outlander is obviously a massive success and has a very big cult following all over the world. What does it mean to you as an actor and as a Scot that you were a part of that? Um, I, I think it's different things. I think I think um, in the, kind of, uh, the immediate you know, after aftermath of filming on the show and being on the show and watching yourself on the big screen, there's just a wee pinch me moments and um, grateful for for being part of it. I think probably long terms when I'll appreciate it more. Maybe you know, with the grandkids are watching you and you know, I, I like to. I, I wind up some of the kind of younger family members uh, we've got. You know, the kids and I, I tell them, you know, that I, I've been in the 1700s as a soldier. And the other <laughs> one, I was in Afghanistan in one of my movies. I says I've been in Afghanistan as a soldier and stuff like that. And I says when I'm in the, the old folks' home and I'm telling people that I lost my leg in Afghanistan and that I was a 1700s uh, blacksmith, they're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> in, my, in my mind I've seen myself there so I've actually lived those moments you know um, I got a helicopter did pick me up out of in Afghanistan but we were filming in Jordan but, uh, but on the screen when you watch it it's Afghanistan and that was in the war movie Kajaki and obviously in, in Outlander as well you've been in those places so it's, I think I think probably more long term it will really hit you I think uh, short term it's just a, a blessing to be part of it just absolute blessing to go into a production that that, um, that is Hollywood it's just been incredible Amazing. And now before I let you go, I'd love to know whether you're working on something either now or in the upcoming months. How can people find out what you're working on now? 
Well, I've got a website, which is just scottkyle.co.uk, and I, I update uh, all my different projects there. Uh, some of the acting projects, I've got a play that's going to be happening in 2022. We're going to be touring. It's called One Mississippi, and it's about young male suicide, and that's a true story. So I've met the person I'm playing, and it's an incredible story. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm doing a movie which was supposed to be happening before lockdown, and it got postponed three weeks before we were filming uh, due to the lockdown. Um, and that is called 1000 Flames, um, where I play the manager of an up-and-coming band. Um, and we're supposed to be filming that as soon as we're allowed into hospitals. There's some of the scenes in it, are a lot of the scenes are set in a hospital, and uh, they need access to hospitals. Obviously, during the, the current pandemic, uh, hospitals don't want film and camera crews running around uh, the, the hospitals just yet. So as soon as that is able to do, I'm hoping uh, maybe summer uh, 2022 we'll be filming 1000 Flames. Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for those projects. Where is the best place that people can find you and keep up to date with you and hear about those upcoming, the theatre production and the film? Uh, well, yeah, I'm on social media, so um, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I think I've, 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 I think I've maxed out my friends on Facebook. You're only allowed five thousand friends. It's amazing that you've got a, a limit to how sociable you can be on social media. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter, and my handle is at scottjko number one. And uh, and yeah, and I post I post my uh, my daily activities. I'm not a one for posting my lunch and my dinner and stuff, but I post upcoming film projects and stuff. And uh, and uh, and my workshops. I do a lot of work with the children's theatre um, workshops that I do, and uh, and I do them all around the world. So I always post when I'm teaching a class. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Scott. We'll put those links in the show notes so people can stay up to date with you and give you a wee follow on Twitter. Maybe we can get you an Outlander cookbook so you can start posting your lunches and your dinner there as well. (laughs) That was Scott Kyle, everyone. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences on the Outlander cast with us. And with this... I send you off to dream about your own Outlander-inspired trip to Scotland. Next week, we turn our attention to the north-east of Scotland and go on an indulgent road trip to food and whisky heaven. It will no doubt be a delicious journey. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. Remember, photos from today's and previous stories are available on wildforscotland.com. And I also post some of my favourites on Instagram, at Wild for Scotland. Come and say hi there. Wild for Scotland is written and hosted by me, Cathy Kamleitner. Fran Chorowskis is the producer and editor of the show. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner. And all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel down a different road in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.